Today we are going to be reading from Romans 8, 28 through 39. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 1184. You're also welcome to use your electronic devices, whatever app you may use. I use the um, Bible app. It's called New Version, I do believe. Um, Also, if we have guests today, um, we do have guests today. Um, We invite you to fill out our Connect card, and you're welcome to drop that in the offering plate later in the service. And um, if you could at least leave us an email or an address, we can send you a card or shoot you an email so we can, you know, stay in touch with you. Okay. Romans 8, 28 through 39. And we know that all things... In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who is raised to life? Is it at the right hand of God and also interceding with that for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it, as it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, first off, can we just say, I mean... I love being a part of a multi-generational church that's not just multi-generational in name, but, you know, we have whole families represented here from birth, you know, through uh, grandparents, and, and, and that's represented in our worship services. We have, uh, we have music from generations gone by, and we have music from generations now and in the future, and we, it's, uh, it's just, it's a really neat thing to be a part of, where we're, uh, where we're baptizing children, and, and, uh, and, and a choir is singing at the same time, and I mean, it's just, uh, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. It's also a, a really exciting time just to be a part of our church, where we've got uh, growth happen- happening spiritually, and, and growth happening, you know, kingdom-wise, and in our church, and, and so we're excited, we're excited for the new families in our church, we're excited for uh, the people we've been able to uh, see be saved and baptized and it's it's just an exciting season for Cypress Street Church of God. We're glad you're here and a part of it and uh, we're in week two of a three-part series called Election. It has refreshingly nothing to do with Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. 
Uh, so that's where we're at today, and uh, and we're kind of just right in the middle. So uh, it's a short thing, and it's actually dealing with you know what happens when when God votes. And we talked about this is really the biggest election. You know they may they'll try to make you think that USA election 2016 is the biggest ever, and and the consequences are the biggest ever. But uh, in reality, it's a bigger consequence when God votes, and that's kind of the premise here. Is and this is taken straight from several passages in the New Testament that talk about this concept of election or uh, predestination, things like that, that a lot of times in the church of God and in similar churches we're not comfortable with, we prefer to skip over those passages. And so we've said, you know, no, we're not going to skip over passages just because they're maybe not as comfortable for us, because they're in there for a purpose, and this theme is repeated, and so let's look at it, let's see what, uh, let's let's tackle it head on. And, and so we're looking at this idea, it's kind of the upside down of our elections, right, where, where the electorate is this all of us, right? And, and the one that's elected is, is one. Uh, well, this is kind of backwards because the electorate that we talked about last week is God. So the electorate is one and, and the elect are many. And when, whenever it talks about God's elect in Scripture, it's always a plural thing. It's talking about a people. And, and so we really went into last week a lot of details about, uh, about the electorate, about God, and about, uh, and about how this is really uh, harkens back to Israel language. When, when our New Testament writers are talking about you know, the elect and, and predestining and calling and all those things, it's looking back to the, the only story that they knew, right? They were Israelites. They had grown up. That was their only scripture that they had. The closest thing to a Bible that they had was the Old Testament scriptures. And the Israel story was their story and the calling of a people through Moses, I mean, through Abraham and then delivering them through Moses. And, and I mean, he, God had this plan that he had foreordained and he worked it all out in this people. And, and so we really went into that last week. So we talked about the who. And, and we've been saying that with, when it comes to election, the who and the why are critical to knowing your purpose. To understanding what you know, what you were elected for. If you're if you're elected to something, you need to know who picked you and why. That's just critical. <laughs> so, uh, so we talked about the who last week, and then we're kind of bridging over to the why, which will be next week. And so this week, we're going to just kind of tackle the obvious question of how do you get elected, or how do you know if you are right? And that's that's a troubling thought for us. And we kind of touched on the fact last week that. Uh, you know that one of the reasons that that's troubling for us is because our worldview is so different than theirs, and uh, and so we'll we'll see more of that in, in a moment. But but we all, you know, when we think about God voting or God choosing, uh, we get you know that's a nervous, uncomfortable feeling. I think it takes a lot of us back to our recess playgrounds. Uh, back when we were in school and you know you'd play sports during recess a lot of us would we'd go out we'd play basketball on the basketball court or we'd play football on the field and and uh, I would imagine that like my schools your school was similar where you'd go out there and the coolest most most athletic kids got to be team captains right and then they got to pick teams they took turns picking and the rest of you you know less cool Less athletic people just kind of got in a big bunch and they started calling names, you know. And if, if there was a girl there that wanted to play and they liked them, they'd probably pick them first. But then after that, <laughs> they're going to pick the coolest, most athletic kids be after them, right? They want the best team to win. And so they start picking the best people. Well, 
If it was basketball, I'd get picked in the middle but early part of the pack, right? And I knew, though, that that was just because I was tall. Only reason. If I was six inches shorter, then I would have got picked at the back of the pack, all right? Because the athletic ability did not match up with the height, unfortunately. Uh, but still, I got picked pretty early because, hey, tall guy, you know, that'll be good. He'll get some rebounds or something. Uh, so, but then if it was football, it was more like towards the back of the pack because the height thing didn't matter as much. You know, I wasn't fast enough or, you know, coordinated enough. And, uh, but I remember, I remember one time that uh, I, I didn't, you know, the team captain number one didn't pick me. All right. Uh, team captain number one was too cool. His name was Ryan Stoltzfus. And you know he was good if he was cool with a last name like Stoltzfus. So this guy was good. And we were out on the football. I remember I caught the pass. I caught a pass. And I turned around only to find Ryan Stoltzfus staring at me right there. And I was like, oh, man, this isn't good. But I did a little juke, and I ran right by him. He fell down. Fell down. I faked him out that bad. And uh, that was a glorious day. But, you know, the next time we went to play football, they still didn't pick me as team captain. <laughs> and I think, you know, we all have experiences like that. You know, maybe yours wasn't on a field playing sports, but, you know... We, we do that as kids growing up. There's you know, the cool people and the not cool people. And there's the winners and the losers. And, and, and a lot of us, we either you know, grow up with this sense of shame. Like, man, I am a loser. I'm, I'm never good enough. And we know that those people who are always picked as the coolest, they a lot of times struggle with the same thing. We find out later that they have this really low self-esteem, even though everyone thought they were the coolest ever. And then, of course, there are those that really think they are the coolest ever, and uh, they don't realize that they're just a loser like the rest of us. <laughs> they're still living in Wonderland and think that, they, that they're, you know, the stuff. So, but we all have experienced that in some way, shape, or form, and, and we all know what shame feels like, and we all know what it feels like to worry about, are we going to be picked, are we going to be good enough, are we going to, you know, when, whether it's a... Uh, looking for a spouse or looking for a friend or whether it's, you know, with God and our faith and are we going to measure up? Is God, is God going to see us as, as good enough? And we talked a lot about that last week. But, you know, when it comes to this idea of being picked, we all get a little bit nervous about that and we want to know, how do we know? How do we know that we're good with God? How do we know that he's good with us? Maybe more importantly. And that's really what we're talking about today as we kind of bridge the gap between you know, who elects. And we talked last week about how salvation is not about how good you are. It's about how good God is. That there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Uh, there was nothing we could do. God had to send Jesus to save us because we couldn't do it on our own. And so the whole idea that we can earn anything from God is just preposterous. And, and the Bible teaches us all the time that if not for God's grace and God's goodness, we'd all be up a creek without a paddle. And so this week we're going to talk about the, the how do we know, and then next week we'll get into why, what, for what purpose would God choose a people. But let's just dive into this this week and try to answer the question, how do you know? And... In that passage we read from the book of Romans, it's the Apostle Paul writing, and this little passage here is so famous and popular, and you see it on Christian shirts and everything. Uh, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, height or depth, or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our King. Alright? We love that. That's good stuff. We can't, you know, how, how is Paul so confident in that? How is he so confident to know nothing can separate us from the love of Christ? Well, to find out, we have to back up just a few verses earlier in this passage where he says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And this was central to Paul's confidence. This is why Paul had so much confidence. It's because he believed this. And as we talked about last week, this had a lot to do with his belief about Israel and his worldview was so different than ours. You know, when he talked about election or, you know, this concept of being chosen and called and, and picked, uh, you know, he was talking about Israel in his mind. That's, that was his worldview. He didn't have, he didn't grow up in a democracy like America where everyone gets to vote and have a say and you pick somebody and you, and someone else is the loser and someone is the winner. That wasn't their concept. His concept was what he grew up with of Israel had been chosen as this people, the elect of God. And, and they, were, they were picked out by God. They were pre-planned. It was, a, it, was a, it was a people, a special people that you got to be a part of. And so for him, becoming a Christian, being in Christ, was like a Israel 2.0. You know? and, and you were one of the elect when you were in that group. And so it brings him so much confidence, just as the Israelites had so much confidence that, hey, we are God's people. He picked us. He delivered us from Egypt. We know our story. We know where we came from. We know whose we are. And, uh, and so similarly, he had so much confidence. But, you know, so why is it that Paul and the people he wrote to got so much confidence from this? And then so oftentimes, Christians in America today get so much concern from this whole concept of, you know, how does that work and how do we know? And we don't like it all the time. It's not always comfortable. Well, how you know whether you're one of God's elect or not was not a question that ever crossed Paul's mind or his listeners' mind. Because first of all, they knew about Israel and they knew how that worked. And you can kind of catch a glimpse of that in verse 29 where he said this about being that Jesus was the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, they knew how Israel worked, and they knew how you became one of the elect in Israel, and that was you were born into it. We know from history that Israel was not only a nation, it was like a big family, you know? And it all started with Abraham, and then his kid, and then his kid had twins, and, and one of those kids had 12, you know, uh, you know sons and grandsons that he, that he made into the 12 tribes of Israel. And, uh, and that, that God chose, and he, you know, so you have all these tribes, you know, the tribe, you maybe have heard of the tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Benjamin, and all that. And that came from the sons of Jacob, whom God called Israel. And so you have this huge family. And if you were born into it, you were one of God's elect. If you weren't, there were cases where it was almost like a, an adoption sort of thing, you know, where they'd bring people in from outside of the nation too. But 
predominantly you get in by being born in. And they understood this. And there's this marvelous story, this account of where one of the Israelites, a prominent teacher of the law in his day named Nicodemus, comes and he seeks out Jesus to talk to him about you know, all the stuff that Jesus had been teaching about the kingdom and all his implications of that he might be the Messiah that they had all been waiting for. And Nicodemus comes to him in the night. Maybe he was concerned about what his peers might think if he was talking to this guy that wasn't so popular amongst the religious elite of his day. But he comes to Jesus and he begins to strike up this conversation with him. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And this was probably offensive to Nicodemus. Because he was born into the people of God. In his opinion, he had already been born into the kingdom of God. He was a son, a child of Abraham. And that was as good a birth as you could ask for in his view. So what's all this about being born again? In fact, he sounds a little bit indignant almost. How can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't. I mean, you know, he's getting sarcastic with Jesus. You know, surely they can't be going back into the womb and coming back out. Give me a break. You know, I've been born into the greatest people on earth. You know, what do you mean, Jesus? But Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone born in the Spirit. And this would have been a troubling thought for someone like Nicodemus. Because, man, that sounds like anybody could be born into this family. That anybody could join the kingdom of God. They could come from anywhere and they could go anywhere. Doesn't sound quite as exclusive. (laughs) as the club he had been a part of. And so he wasn't so sure about that. But Jesus drove his point home. That if we're going to be a part of the elect, if we're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, we need to be born into it. Well, that's interesting. How does that work? We'll get to that. But it definitely echoes back, doesn't it, to what Paul was saying 20 years later or so when he said that Jesus was the firstborn, the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. Through his death and resurrection, he was the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And many since then have been born into the family. So Paul and the people he wrote to, they weren't worried about how do you know because they knew the history. They knew how it worked. They knew how Israel worked. And they knew that you had to be born into it. But they also knew something about the gospel that sometimes we forget. And did you know that that whole conversation with Nicodemus that Jesus had is followed directly? I mean like the next verse. Jesus wraps up his conversation with Nicodemus in our chapter 3 verse 15. And the very next verse starts kind of a commentary by the gospel writer, John. And he says these words you may have heard before. For God so loved the world 
that he sent his son. (laughs) He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And you may have learned it in different versions, you know, but, but we all know that verse or you've seen it at the very least at the end of a football field or somewhere, you know, that verse gets plastered up everywhere. John 3.16. Well, this is commentary on the whole conversation that Jesus just had with Nicodemus. Very next verse after Jesus wraps up with that. And you know what comes after that? I mean, first off, let's just point out. Remember that what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus about this, you'll be born of spirit and, and like the wind, you don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. And, and Nicodemus probably not very comfortable with that whole concept. Well, here John writes, for God so loved the world, not just Israel. He loved the world so much that he gave his son. And it goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And he said, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. One of the reasons that Paul and his listeners weren't worried about how do you know is because they understood how Israel works and how that whole born thing works. And the other part of it is they understood how the gospel works. And they understood that God sent his one and only son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. It was, his was a saving, a rescue mission. Not a condemnation mission. He came to save. So if your picture of God, when, when topics like, ele- when you come across a passage that says, you know, God's elect, you know, maybe you read Jesus saying that, or, or you read about Paul talking about, you know, these similar concepts of, of predestination or, or choosing and calling and all this, and, and you get this image in your brain of being out on the football field and they're picking teams, and are you going to be left out or not? When you get this image of God saying, uh, yeah, I pick you for heaven, and I pick you to go and burn in hell, you can rest assured that is not the gospel. That is not the picture of God that we receive in the gospel that says, for God so loved the world that he sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Jesus. That's not a picture of some man sitting up on his throne saying, yeah, I guess you're good enough. You're not. Sorry. But notice what it does say as well. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who choose not to believe, who don't believe, already stand condemned. It's not like God decided, hey, (laughs) boom, (laughs) you're condemned. They stand condemned. They stand condemned because they do not believe. All right, now let's get a little more practical. Because, you know, Jesus is talking about being born again. And for us, you know, that carries a lot of connotations. You know, it's like a, in our country, it's like, you know, you talk about Christians and then there's born again Christians, you know. And, and so that's different, means different things to different people. 
You know, and those of us that grew up in the church and grew up here in Jesus, you know, use that term. Maybe it doesn't mean the same thing for us as it does to someone in the world that's used to hearing that term. For them, it's like, you know, you, well, this is a fundamentalist or this is a, a voting block, you know, an extremist group or whatever. They're born again Christians. Well, let's just get back to what the Bible means when it talks about and what Jesus means when he talks about being born again. What it means to say believe that whoever believes in him. What does that mean? I mean, because there's different kinds of believing, right? I mean, there's, there's believing like, yeah, I believe Jesus existed. And there's believing like, yeah, I believe he's the son of God. But then other places in the New Testament, it talks about, well, yeah, even demons believe that he's the son of God, you know. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be with us in heaven, you know. So um, what does it mean when it talks about Believing, And fortunately for us, there's a lot of conversation about this. We don't even really have to stray from this passage because John 3.16 is just commentary on what just happened with Nicodemus. And, and Jesus told Nicodemus a little bit about being born again. He said it involves water and spirit. Now for us, that just sounds more like some more philosophical talk, you know, that this must be like an insider conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus are having, and how does this make sense? But scholars say that actually they think Jesus was hearkening back to this prophecy that Nicodemus would have known very well, and it's found in Ezekiel. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is a prophecy that happened, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. But this is something, part of their scriptures, that they learned and learned and learned. And you will be clean. He goes on and says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful about my laws. And, and so when Jesus in John chapter 3 verse 5 in this conversation with Nicodemus says, you know, you got to be born of water and of spirit. I think he was probably calling to mind this that talks about, you know, how water is a cleansing thing. And we all get that. We all use water to clean, right? And, and water is a, a part of birth and a part of the cleaning process at birth. And water is a part of baptism and and a cleansing part of that. And and we understand that. And so part of believing, part of being born again into the kingdom is is being cleansed. It's, It's forgiveness for your past, right? Part of being born again is leaving your past behind. And that makes sense. I mean, that's a, that's a core part of, of being born, right? You leave the womb behind once and for all. There's no going back. I mean, Nicodemus pointed that out. (laughs) He was on top of that. There's no going back. Once you leave that, that's in the past. And there's a new life to be lived. And that's the other part. Must be born of water that cleanses and of spirit that empowers you to live a new way. God's way. There's God's elect is a people. It used to be that people was known as Israel. Now that people, they're most often known as Christians. In the early days, they were known as people of the way. Some people called them Galileans. The Romans that worshipped pagan gods called them atheists. They've been called a lot of things through the years. Good names and bad. But we're Christians. 
We're followers of Jesus. We're the Jesus people. We're the elect. And the way you get to be one of the elect, the way you know if you are one of the elect, is if you've been born into it. Just as you had to be born into Israel, you have to be born into this family as well. And Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And he tells us what it means to be born into that family. To be cleansed from your past, your old way of life, to be forgiven for that, and to live in a new way by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so it's so cool that we baptized Carly today. Because, I mean, it's just a living illustration, you know, of what it means to be cleansed from your past and to be raised up into a new way of life in Christ. And at the end of our service, we'll have her come down and and we'll pray over her that the Holy Spirit would fill her and empower her to live a new way of life, His way of life. So that's been part of it since the beginning. So how do you know? Well, for starters, rest assured that God cast His vote for you when He gave His one and only Son to die for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And that world that He loved so much includes you. And if you are that person that kind of always felt like the loser, the one that didn't get picked, if you've always lived with this concern of, am I good enough? Would God ever pick me? Am I really saved? How do I know if God really loves me? How do I know if His forgiveness is enough? How do I know if what He did on the cross can really cover what I've done in my life and what I struggle with in my world? Then just remember, first of all, that salvation isn't about how good you are. It's about how good God is and that God already cast His vote for you before you were ever born. Before you ever rejected God the first time, He had already sent His Son to die for you. That's a big truth. It leads us to ask, how do we respond to it? How do we respond to this huge truth that God already cast His vote for us? So much so, I mean, He didn't just go to a voting booth and push a button. He sent His Son, His only Son, to die for you. Something precious to Him. God paid our price for rejecting Him. So we need to know. We need to know. How do we know that God picked us? We know that He loved us and sent His Son. And we know what to do in response. Jesus taught us and it was echoed by his apostles. The very first sermon ever preached as the church launched. Peter just laid it out for them. Everything that had happened. Everything Jesus had done and how he was the Messiah and how they had crucified him. But he had risen back from life and they all felt miserable about it. The ones who accepted this message and their eyewitness account of his being resurrected. And hundreds of them had seen him alive. And and they shared in the power of the Holy Spirit about what they had seen and what they had experienced. And and those who believed, about about 3,000 or so, spoke up and they said, well, what do we do now? 
What do we do with this? And he said, repent and be baptized. It's really the same thing Jesus was saying when he said you have to be born of water and of spirit. You've got to be cleansed from your past. You've got to turn from that to a new way of life by the power of his Holy Spirit. Because that's what repent and be baptized is all about. So if you're here today and either you're that one that's always wondered, always struggled with that, I hope you can find confidence in this. That if you want to be born into this family, you can be. Because God already sent His Son. He already cast His vote for you. Come and join us. And if you're here today and you're that kid that was always the the cool kid and you've never really worried about it because you figure you're good enough anyway, you're not. You're in the same boat as the whole rest of us. I mean, and if you're honest with yourself, you can't even measure up to your own standards from day to day. Right? How could we ever think that we could measure up to God's standards? And so we need to humble ourselves and accept the fact that we couldn't save ourselves, but God could in His goodness and in His grace. And He sent His Son. And now we have the opportunity to be born into that family, the elect of God. All those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. How's that sound? Sound all right? (laughs) Maybe? (laughs) Ho-hum? Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good to me. Well, will you come to Jesus today? If you've never made that decision... Uh, you can make that decision today. You can come and you can pray at an altar. You can pray with a friend. You can, you can kneel where you're at. You can sit where you're at. You can, uh, you can pray where you're at. It's just a matter of those two things. <laughs> Water and spirit. Repenting and then being baptized. Turning your back on, on your past. Asking forgiveness for that. And asking His Holy Spirit to help you live in a new way in Christ Jesus. And following His way of life. It's not something where you get it together first because like we said, you'll never be good enough on your own power. This is about what God did for us and about accepting the vote that he cast on our behalf and of joining that family. And next week we're going to talk about what it means to be a part of that family. uh, The purpose of it, right? And that's critical. So I hope you'll come back next week because, I mean, that's the, you know, okay. We'll go back to the election 2016 just for a moment. We know what happens when we elect people and they forget who elected them or they forget why they've been elected. And it's not pretty. They're corrupt. They're greedy. They're in it for themselves. And friends, there's a lot of churches who are in it for themselves. Who are inwardly focused. And it's all about them. And we don't want to be that people. We want to be the people who remember who picked us and why he picked us. And so next week is about why. But today is about knowing that you are one of his. And so will you be born again today if you haven't already made that decision? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel. 
We thank you for this good news, the best news to ever hit planet Earth, that you've sent Jesus to save us. We admit, God, we confess our sins, our past, our failures. We haven't measured up to your standard. We rejected you as our God. We wanted to be our own God. We need forgiveness. Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us, to teach us a new way, to empower us to live a better way, Jesus' way. And we pray it by his authority. Amen.